Has there ever been a time in your life where you felt like you missed your chance? Maybe there was a time in your life when you felt like you had an opportunity and it didn't go well. And now you worry that you're never going to get another chance to make it right. That you'll never have a second opportunity to maybe do that thing that you wanted to do. You know, I think our lives are often marked by moments of maybe fear or anxiety where we believe that maybe we've done something and we've missed our chance. If you look across the, the, the pages of history, you see that, that history has been changed by many people who felt like they missed their chance. I think of J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling, the author of the famous Harry Potter series of novels, didn't have enough money to buy a computer, so she hand-typed her 90,000-word novel, mailed it to publishers, but was told dozens of times, no, this book is not good enough to be published, only to then have it made into major motion pictures and become a fan favorite for millions. I think of Thomas Edison. If it wasn't for Thomas Edison, we may not be able to be in the space we are in today. Yet Thomas Edison was fired for two jobs, told he wasn't working hard enough, and failed a thousand times before creating the first incandescent light bulb. How about Henry Ford? Anybody drive here in a Ford this morning? Henry Ford went bankrupt five times before successfully creating the Model T and launching the Ford Motor Company. Our lives are often marked by moments where we feel like we've missed our chance or whatever idea we had wasn't going to take root. Or maybe it was a job interview for that dream job. It was a date with that person you thought was the one. It didn't go well, and you wonder, will I ever get another chance? But sometimes in our lives, I think we come to a moment where we feel like we missed our chance because of something that we did. Whether it was a bad decision, it was a mistake, it was a poor choice, it was a sin, something that sin led us on, we feel like we missed our chance. And we, we think that because of that situation, we're never going to get another opportunity. Some of you may know the name Josh Hamilton. In 1999, Josh Hamilton, an 18-year-old high school kid, was drafted number one by the Tampa Bay Rays. Six foot four, 230 pounds, he was going to be the next slugger. For two years, Hamilton traveled with his family as he was in the minor leagues, doing well. But then he had a back injury. And that back injury led to an addiction to pain pills, which led to him beginning to hang out with the wrong crew. And within the next two years, he was out of baseball. See, we might know Josh Hamilton's name because we watched him in 2008 put on the biggest home run derby display ever seen. We might remember Josh Hamilton because he led the Texas Rangers to back-to-back -to -back World Series in 2010 and 2011, where he averaged 28 home runs a year and over 100 RBI. See, a lot of us don't know the story that led him from a place of being out of baseball to three years later being back in, his, in the game. See, Hamilton signed for $3.96 million as an 18-year-old. But within five years, Hamilton was homeless, broke, separated from his wife and his kid and was invited to come move in with his grandma back in North Carolina. October 1st, 2005, Hamilton walks in loaded and his grandma looks at him and she says, if you're going to live under this roof, there's going to be no drugs. Do drugs again, you're out. And in shame, Hamilton walked back to his room and he found his Bible. And he began to thumb through the pages of his Bible and God led him to James 4, verse 7, which says this. 
It says, humble yourself, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And in that moment, Hamilton says that he was in a place where he was confronted with his own brokenness and his own hopelessness, and he, he was led to a place of true surrender, and he realized that for six years, he's tried to do it his way, and it hasn't worked. And at that moment, he laid it all at the feet of Jesus. For the next five months, Hamilton worked to get clean, to be reunited with his wife and his daughter. So how did Hamilton go from such a place of hopelessness and despair to back on the top of the game? Well, the only answer was, it was God. And it's a reminder of what we see over and over again throughout the Bible, that God is a God of second chances. That God is a God who wants to use your story to change somebody else's story. See, four months later, or five months later, after Hamilton decided to surrender to God, he got a call from a friend who ran a Christian baseball academy, and Hamilton slept on an air mattress and mowed the grass to afford the tuition. The next summer, he was offered a tryout, got signed by the Cubs, traded to the Reds, traded to the Rangers, where he would go on to be an all-star, home run derby champion, and two-time World Series player. How can all that come together? How could someone be given such a second chance? Well, he realized that he had to stop running from God and surrender himself, and that God wanted to use him for something more. Hamilton's story became public, and everybody found out about his rise and his fall, his fall and his rise, and God used him as a special way to show others that second chances are possible. And every chance he got, he talked about the way that Jesus worked in his life. He stopped running. And he surrendered to God. In Jonah chapter 3, we see something similar. If you guys have been with us the past few weeks, we've been studying the book of Jonah. And we have been looking at a man who ran from God. A man that God called to do something, but he turned his back and he ran the other direction. If you guys remember, two weeks ago, we talked about Jonah, the prophet to Israel. And God called Jonah and said, Jonah, it's time for you to go to Nineveh because I have a message for the Ninevites. But Jonah didn't like what God told him, so he ran. He ran to Joppa. He got on board a ship to Tarshish, 2,500 miles in the wrong direction. But if you guys remember the story, what happens? God sends a storm, stops Jonah in his tracks. Jonah realizes that he couldn't run from God, but to save the lives of the sailors that he just needs to get thrown overboard. So he does. He gets thrown into the water, and then God does something really amazing. God sends a big fish or a whale to swallow Jonah. And Pete did an amazing job last week of walking us through what it was like for Jonah to be in the belly of the whale and what it was like for Jonah to be brought to a place where he knew he had to surrender, that he couldn't do anything on his own, that he couldn't run from God. And Jonah was ready to be spit out. And so we end chapter 2 with Jonah being spit out back toward the direction that God wants him to go. And in Jonah chapter 3, we come across this amazing, beautiful story that shows us the heart of God towards you and towards me and towards people all over the globe and that God is a God of second chances and that God wants to use you to change somebody else's story. Notice what Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 says. If you have your Bibles, look with me. Jonah 3 verse 1. We see this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Don't miss that. If you're, if, you're, if you're a Bible highlighter, highlight that, circle that, star that a second time. 
The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It's one of the beautiful realities, and we, we can just stop there and see what God wants us to see. One of the beautiful realities of God's word is that God is the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and tenth chances and twelfth chances and forty-seventh chances. Amen? He's the God of chances. And then what we see in Jonah's life is that God works in this amazing way to show us that God wants to use your story to change somebody else's story. And that God wants us to make most of our second chance or our 40-second chance. But God wants to use you in an amazing way. So some of you may come in here this morning and you feel like you're in that place where you say, I've made mistakes, I've got past failures, or I'm in the middle of a hardship, and there's no way God can use me. There's no way I can be in a place where God even wants to look at me. And I think what God wants to tell you through Jonah 3 is that you got to stop thinking like that because God wants to move in your life and give you a second chance. And as he does, he's going to move through your life to give somebody else a second chance. So how do we make the most of our second chance? Well, Jonah chapter 3 teaches us a lot. The first thing it teaches us is this, that God loves to use messy people because Jonah was a mess. And when we see ourselves in the story of Jonah, we see that we can be pretty messy too. Look back with me at verse 1. We see this, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You know, I think if we went around this room and I asked each of you, what do you want your life to be all about? If I asked you to grab a piece of paper and without telling your neighbor, write down, what do you want your life to be about? What what kind of a mark do you want to have on your life? I think if we were deeply honest with ourselves, we would say that we want our life to be marked by purpose, right? That we want our life to have meaning, that we want to do something that matters, that we want to be somebody that God uses in a significant way. Yet the problem is, I think a lot of us, we look back and we see that maybe because of something we've did, we've been disqualified. And we've got now guilt, and we've got shame, and we've got hard feelings, and we've got pain, and we can't get over those things because, God, there's no way you want to use me. God, there's no way I can actually make a difference. But what happens is our, our past becomes a hurdle, but in reality, God wants to use your past to become a platform for his grace. And this is what we see in Jonah that we don't have to have it all together. We just have to be willing to surrender and listen to who God is and what God is telling us to do. Because if we look to the pages of this Bible, I would bet you if I just asked you to open your Bible and put your finger down on a page, you're going to come across the story of a messy person. Because God loves to use messy people, people like you and me. Just think about some of the heroes of the faith. We see guys like Abraham. Abraham sold his wife twice because he was afraid of what would happen to him. Basically, he pimped out his wife twice. But yet God used Abraham to change the world forever because it was through Abraham's lineage that Jesus came. Well, if Abraham wasn't in a big enough mess for you, how about David? I mean, David is the mess of all messes, right? But yet he was still a man after God's own heart. David had an affair with a married woman and then had her husband killed to cover it up was so caught up in guilt and shame that he wanted to lose his life. And God said, no, I've got a plan for you. And God used David to write 73 psalms that you and I get to read and look at when we are going through the despair moments in the valleys in life. 
How about Rahab? Rahab was a, a prostitute. Yet God used her to help rescue the spies of Israel so that they could win the battle of Jericho. And then Rahab became the great-grandmother of King David. How about Moses? Moses was a murderer, yet God used Moses to rescue his people from Egypt out of slavery and to write the first five books of the Old Testament. What about Peter? Peter denied Jesus, turned his back on Jesus while Jesus was on trial, but yet Jesus restores Peter, and Peter becomes the head of the church. What? God is a God of second chances, and God loves to use messy people to give others a second chance. See, the reality is for you, whatever story you come in with today, whatever story you believe that's holding you back from God using you or giving you purpose or meaning in your life, God is saying we have to realize that God wants to use exactly what you've been through, exactly what you're walking through to change your life. And believe it or not, he's going to use your story to change somebody else's. And this is what we see in Jonah. God had other plans. Look back at verses 1 and 2 again. We see this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And notice what God told Jonah to do. He said, arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it with the message that I tell you. Notice what God does here to Jonah. God doesn't say, hey, Jonah, remember the last time I asked you to do something and what you did? Like, you know, I'm going to slap you around a little bit. Remember how you failed me last time, you bozo? Come on. Didn't do any of that. He just said, Jonah... Let's get up and let's go. God is the God of second chances. See, God had a plan to use Jonah's messy story in Nineveh. And I think if you guys remember back a couple weeks ago, we talked about Nineveh. And we shared that Nineveh was a pretty terrible place. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And Assyria was full of some really bad people who loved to conquer conquering nations and to prove their power in really terrible ways. And we shared that Nineveh it was actually modern-day Mosul, Iraq, and that these were the great-grandparents of ISIS and the great-grandparents of the Taliban. And so God effectively asked Jonah to go in and speak to these people, and that's why Jonah ran and said no. And I think after this last week of us looking at the news of what's going on in Afghanistan, we can see why he said no. It's a scary place to walk into. That's a scary place to step into and speak But yet God had a plan for Jonah. And God let Jonah run because he had a reason. Now, I don't know if you guys knew this, but this is really interesting. So Nineveh, it's not actually by any water, but the word Nineveh means house of the fish. The Ninevites, the Assyrians, worshipped a fish god named Dagon. Here's a picture of Dagon. Dagon was a half man, half fish. And he was uh, one of the pagan gods that the people in Nineveh and the Assyrians worshipped. So notice what God does. He tells Jonah that, Jonah, I want you to go speak to the people in Nineveh. Jonah runs. And so God chases Jonah down with what? A big fish. Do you see what God's doing? So Jonah is now swallowed by this big fish. He's in the belly of this fish for three days. And he's all bleached out because of the gastric acids in the, the fish's stomach. And he gets spit back on ground. And then God says, hey, Jonah, why don't you step up? Go back to Nineveh. And tell them the message I have for you. See, God had a plan for Jonah's story. God wanted to use Jonah's story by having the man swallowed by a fish and go talk to people who believe in a man fish that God controls the fish. What do you think the people of Nineveh thought when they saw him? Man, we better get serious about this. This is some real stuff. See, God wants to use our story to change somebody else's. 
And whatever you're walking through, whatever you have went through, whatever mistakes you've made, whatever trouble you've caused, whatever pain you've had, God wants to use that exact thing to help somebody else who's going through that same thing. Because this is just the way that God works. See, God loves to use things in our lives to break down the walls so we can see the grace that God has for us. And you see that God does this all the time. Think back to the book of Exodus when God is trying to use Moses. He's going to rescue God's people out of, out of Egypt. What does he do? He sends plagues. Remember how many plagues there were? Ten. One of the plagues was bringing darkness over the land. And we might say, well, that was, that's weird and that's scary, but there's a, another reason behind that. See, the Egyptians worshipped a sun god. Do you remember his name? Ra. And so the Egyptians worshiped the sun god Ra, and so by God making the world dark, it was saying that your sun god is not real, but the god of the Bible is. Later on, there's another plague in Exodus chapter 7. This one actually came earlier. It was when God sent frogs onto the land. You guys remember that plague? If you guys know the story of Exodus, it's, that had to be really gross, right? Like frogs are kind of fun, like they're in a cage, but when you got millions of them swarming your house and your car, a little weird, Right? So imagine frogs swarming over. Well, the Egyptians worshipped a, a, a pagan god who was half man, half frog. Again, God's saying, don't believe in the frog man. Believe in God. When God gave, sat Moses down and gave him the book of Genesis to write, do you know what we read in the very first chapter of Genesis? God said, let there be light. And let there be lights in the heavens that give light and govern the day and govern the night. What was he telling? He was telling a group of Israelites who grew up in a pagan culture who believed that Ra was God, that no, Ra is not real, but the God of the Bible, who's the creator, is the one that put the lights in the sky during the day and during the night. God is always trying to work to shape our hearts and to remove the walls that are in front of us to use our story to change somebody else's story. And so whatever you're walking through right now, however hard it's been, or whatever you look back on your past and whatever the guilt and shame comes from, realize this, that God wants to use that for somebody else. Let me just ask you this. How many times in your life have you met someone or or talked to someone who's walking through something difficult? Maybe it was somebody here at church or it was in life group or it was at work. It's a neighbor. It's a friend, right? And you're talking to them, and as you talk, you hear that they are struggling with something that you've walked through. That they're going through a hard time and you've been through that situation. See, it happens to all of us all the time. And there's no coincidence. There's no coincidences with God. See, God wants to use you to help that person walk through whatever that difficult situation was that you just walked through. So I just want you to be honest with yourself for a moment as we think about where we're at right now in life and what troubles we're going through. Because maybe your story has been marked by addiction and God wants to use your story to help somebody else walk through addiction. Or maybe your story has been marked by uh, coming from a broken home or, or walking through broken relationships and God wants to use you to speak to somebody else. Or maybe your story has been marked by pornography or, or alcohol or bad intentions. But God wants to use your story to walk somebody else so that they can see that he is the God of second chances. So we see that what, what God wants us to see is how do we make the most of our second chance? That really, we just have to be honest and say that God loves to use messy people, messy people like me. But when we see and recognize that, we have to recognize that there's something else at play here in Jonah chapter 3 is that God just wants us to follow his lead. Because there's something that happens when we realize and surrender to God. That Yes, I'm a mess, but God, you want to use me? God says, follow me. Follow me. 
follow my lead. Notice again what he says in verse 2. He says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it this message that I tell you. See, it's no accident that God purposely walked Jonah through that situation so that Jonah could go to Nineveh. And it's no accident that God's purposely allowed something in your life to happen so that you can go and talk to the people in your life that God has placed you around. Your problem doesn't separate you from God's grace. It's a platform for God's grace. So I think one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, who has God put in our life, right? Like, who has God put into my circle that is walking through a difficult time that I've been through? Because that is God leading you to a place to help them and guide them and shepherd them to see what God has for them. Frederick uh, Buckner, he's an author and theologian and um, pastor in the Presbyterian Church, and he says this. He says that, that the, the place God calls you to is the place where deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Have you ever thought about the fact that that situation, those difficult times that God has allowed in your life, that God allowed those so that you could meet somebody else's deepest trouble? You know, I think in our life, we all want purpose, right? We all want meaning. We all want our lives to amount to something. Yet we feel like our, our shame and our guilt and, and our pain holds us back. But could God be actually allowing that to happen in your life so that you can find the deepest joy and gladness of helping somebody else walk through their moment of deepest shame and pain and hurt? See, God is at work like this, and God wants to use your story to change somebody else's. He's the God of the second chance. And he just says, follow my lead. Notice that I use messy people and follow where I'm leading and follow my opening. But also he says this. He says that he gives us a message to share. And that's what we see happen in Jonah chapter 3. That God has given each of us a message to share. Notice Jonah's message in verse 3. Notice this. So Jonah gets up. God spits him out of the fish. God says, I'm going to give you a second chance. Go. Jonah says, I can't run from you anyways. What's the point? So I'm going to go. I'm covered in bleached gastric acids anyways. I don't have anywhere else to go. So I'm going to march right into Nineveh. Notice what he says. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. In verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, a little background again on Nineveh. Nineveh was a great city, so it would take you three days' journey to go through the city of Nineveh. And we see that Jonah walks in a day, spends him a day to walk in, and and he starts speaking this message of repentance of God. Now, here's a picture of the walls of Nineveh, just so you know how big this city was. The walls were, in many places, 100 feet tall. And when the city was built, it was built to, to show off their power. And the desire was that you could do chariot races on the wall. That's how much they wanted to show their, they wanted to flex on everybody else. And so Jonah walks into the city, I'm sure just scared to death, but realizes he can't go anywhere because God's got this plan on his life and this call on his life. So he goes out and he says, look, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Five words in Hebrew. Now, he probably said more than that. I'm sure there was a talk about the fish. There was a talk about God, the creator of heaven and earth. But, and we'll talk more about this next week. Jonah didn't have the right attitude. Jonah hated Nineveh. He hated the Assyrians. And so my guess is that Jonah went around saying, 40 days, God's coming for you. Had a smile on his face. 
You know, sometimes my girls, they'll be fighting, you know, slapping each other around. And you, you know how it is. If you have kids, you look over and one of your kids swings on the other one, but it's the, the second one that gets caught. You guys know what I mean? And then you send your, uh, the kid that got caught to time out and you look over and her sister's going. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm sure Jonah had a little smirk on his face. But see, what I love about the book of Jonah is the book of Jonah is not about Jonah. The book of Jonah is not about Jonah. The book of Jonah is about God. It's about God's grace, and it's about God's mercy. And I think what God is wanting to show us through this little, pretty weak little testimony here of Jonah, five words in Hebrew, is that God wants us to show us that God's message is actually really simple. Like, if you think about it, God's message is extremely simple. It's really hard. It's really difficult. But it's, it's not easy, but it's extremely simple. John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That God's message is really simple. And the good news is that Jesus loves me, that Jesus loves you, and that God sent his son to this earth to give his life for you, to trade places with you. And when you put your faith in him, you and your life will be changed forever. That's the gospel, my friends, and that's the good news. Amen? That's really good news. But it's a pretty simple message. That God loves you so much. That God loves the people of Nineveh so much. That God loves the Taliban so much. Now, like Jonah, he hated the Ninevites. And we look at these really bad people around the world and we say, ah, I don't want them to get the gospel. But God wants them to get the gospel too. It's a really simple message, but it's also a really hard message. Because the harsh reality is that, that our lives are short. And that the end of our life is coming. And the hard truth is that Jesus is the answer. And there's a message that needs to be shared. You know, Jesus says in John 14, 6, that I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And that's the message he gives to us. And he tells us to take it and us to share it. It's a simple message, but it's not easy. But the, and it's not easy because the answer is that we have to turn from whatever has been causing us to pursue our own way and turn to God. See, that's what Jonah said to the Ninevites. Look, repent, right? Turn to God. You know, I think of Peter. If you guys remember the, P the story of Peter in, in, uh, in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Peter, who, who denied Jesus and walked away from Jesus and God redeemed and Jesus said, I'm going to use you in a special way. The Holy Spirit comes upon Peter and the other disciples and they begin to speak and all of Jerusalem begins to listen and Peter tells them that Jesus, the man that just was crucified and just died, he was the son of God and he is the only way for you to truly live the best life and have eternal life and he was the one that God sent here for you. And the people said, Peter, what do we do then? Remember what Peter said? If you guys know the story, Acts chapter 2, Peter says this, repent and believe. See, trusting in God always starts with repentance. It always starts with surrendering, like we see with Jonah and Josh Hamilton. It starts with realizing that we can't do it on our own and turning from where we've been going and turning and following God. This is the message that God gave Jonah to share, and the message that God gives us to share is the same, that God loves you so much, so turn away from trying to do it your own way and turn and follow him. But I, I think if we're real with each other, though, while this message is easy, or is simple and not easy, while this message is simple, it's also scary. Because going to somebody else and sharing that same thing can be pretty daunting, especially if you knew my past. 
Because we often think, again, we've been disqualified. So if you know my past, or why would they listen to me because of what I've been through? Why would they look at my life? My life's a mess. Why would somebody care what I have to say? We get that little voice in our head, but there's a bigger voice that we need to listen to, and it's the voice of God. And the voice of God is saying, don't you see who I've created you to be? And don't you see what I've done in your life? Because, yes, you may not be the person that you want to be, but you are not who you once were. Amen? Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says this in Ephesians chapter 2, one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. Paul says this. He says, for you, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. But, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. For, therefore, by the grace of God, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of any of your own doing. It is the gift of God. You didn't earn your way back. You didn't prove that you belonged. You didn't prove that you were valuable. You didn't prove that your sin was not that bad. God says, here, here's my grace. And it's found in Jesus. So what? It's the gift of God, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in here, walk in them. And if you guys are here today, and let me just be honest, if you are here today and God has changed your life, God has changed your life and he's given you a second chance because he wants you to go and he wants to use you to go give somebody else a second chance too. And God wants to use you to change somebody else's life. It's crazy that God decides to use us, but he does. David Platt says that the church is God's plan A and there is no plan B. Think about that for a second. Your plan A. It's kind of freaky, right? Like, I'm plan A. Oh, man. But you are. That's God's plan. You and I are the church, and God has let you walk through what you walk through so you can change whatever somebody else is walking through. God is bigger than everything. And here's the most beautiful part, though. This is the part I want, to, I want you guys to really grab a hold on. If you catch anything I say today, it's this. The most beautiful part is that all we're called to do is go and to share and to be faithful because God is the one who changes hearts. My friends, God has the power to change hearts. I mean, notice Jonah's message. It's five words. It's the worst sermon ever, right? Like literally, Jonah is the worst message of all time. But yet, what, look what God does. Look at verse 6. It said, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. Actually, let me go back to verse 5 real quick. Notice what he says in verse 5. The people believed. I shouldn't skip verse 5. The people believed. And they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And so then the word gets to the, the people are believing and they're like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like I, I'm, I've been totally trusting the wrong thing and my life's a mess. We need to repent. And the word gets up to the king and the king hears it and the king believes it. And so it says in verse six, the word reaching the king of Nineveh, he rose from the throne, uh, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Now the sackcloth thing is weird. We don't get the sackcloth thing. But in ancient times, people of, in the ancient Near East put on sackcloth because it was uncomfortable and it itched and it didn't look very good. And they realized that it was a reminder that they need to get right, that they need to get their head right and get right with God. And notice they even asked the animals to put on sackcloth. It's like the original dog sweater. 
Anybody put sweaters on their dogs? If you put a sweater on your dog, you're pretty serious about your dog, right? You put a sweater on your horse or your cow, you're pretty serious about getting right with God. And so they put on sackcloth and they cover their cats in sackcloth and all this weird stuff. And then notice what the king says. He says, let everybody cry out mightily to God. That word God is the God of the Bible. Dagon, forget about Dagon. He's done. Like he does, he's not even real. Let's call out to Jonah's God. <laughs> Let's call out to the God of the Bible, Yahweh. And look at verse 8. But let, oh, but let everyone... Sorry, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. So change your life. Don't just change your head, change your actions too. Turn and then verse 9, who knows? Maybe God will turn and relent from his anger, from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. They respond to the message and notice verse 10. What, is, what happens? What does God do? Verse 10. Beautiful. When God saw what they did, God saw that they turned. God saw that they repented. God saw that their heart was right. What did he do? He turned, and God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. For the greatest miracle in the book of Jonah is not the fish. The greatest miracle in the book of Jonah is that God sent the greatest example of a revival that we have in the entire Bible to Nineveh. That God changed the hearts of a people who were so far off from him with a pretty weak, graceless, putrid preaching done by a guy named Jonah who was in the belly of a fish. And he changed the the landscape of an entire city. See, it's a reminder here that that what we see through the book of Jonah is that God is the only one who has the power to change hearts. And it's not our responsibility to change somebody's heart. It's just our responsibility to be faithful and to go and to share the message that God has given us. How did these people get saved and turn to God? The only, the only answer is it's the power of God. This summer, we've been in our life group walking, uh, walking episode by episode through The Chosen. Anybody here read The Chosen? Watch The Chosen? It's so good. If you haven't watched The Chosen, it's on YouTube. I'm going to give a plug. They're not paying me anything for it. It's free. Go on YouTube and watch it. It's fantastic. Well, in The Chosen, we early on, I think it's episode four or five, we get to the, 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 the wedding feast in Cana where Jesus turns water into wine. And it's beautiful the way that they bring the story together because you see that Jesus goes in. And you've got these, uh, it really brings the stories to life, the, the miracles of Jesus. So Jesus walks in, and there's these uh, stone pillar. there's these stone jars filled with water, and Jesus goes in, and he, he turns them from water to wine, and then the, the people that are serving the wine walk in, and they look, and they taste it, and their jaws drop, like, you know? Imagine how many jaw drops Jesus got, right? All these miracles Jesus does. Everybody's jaw dropping, right? And so they were asking, like, how could this be? And the only answer is, it's God. The only answer is, it's the power of God. How did Jesus feed 20,000 people? How did Jesus walk on water? How did Jesus calm a storm with a hush and a hand? It's the power of God. How did Jesus give sight to the blind? How did Jesus heal lepers? How did Jesus give hearing to the deaf? How did Jesus say to the man, get up and pick up your mat and walk? It's medically impossible. The power of God. And how did Jesus rescue you from your struggle and from your addiction and from your need to always be right and from your need to always be loved 
and from the pain of how you look or how you feel or the words others have said? How did Jesus take you from where you were to who you are now? Forefront, there's only one answer, and that is the power of God. The power of God. See, God has the power to do anything. And God wants to move in your situation, and he wants to move in my situation, and he wants to move in their situation. And the crazy thing is, God wants to use you to do it, but it's all on him. That's a beautiful thing, and there's a lot of freedom in that. So you and I on our own, we're lost, but with Jesus, everything changes. And Jesus, God brings the greatest revival in all of the Bible to the people in Nineveh who didn't do anything to deserve it. And God wants to use you to bring revival to the people in your life, in your neighborhood, at your work, here in Denver, in Afghanistan, in Haiti. And he wants to use you and me to do it. I want to close with a story. I was reading about St. Patrick this week. And if you know this about St. Patrick, most famous person from Ireland of all time, but he wasn't even Irish. He was English. He grew up in England, but at age 16, he was kidnapped. He was kidnapped by Irish raiders and taken to Ireland. And for six years, he was forced to, to work as a slave, and he was a herdsman. So he, he was a, a sheep herder for six years. And it was a horrible, horrible time. Lots of despair, lots of pain. But one night he had this vision, and he, he said it came from God, and he was able to escape, and he escaped back to England. But the craziest thing happened. St. Patrick goes back to England, and God speaks to him, and he says, hey, it's time for you to go back to Ireland. And he was scared to death, but he knew that God put this call in his life, and he couldn't run. He tried to for a while. He tried to ignore God's call. He said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to do it. And God said, trust me. So he went and got an education and went back to Ireland. The legend has it that he used the three-leaf clover to teach people who were ritualistic and believed in, in the God of nature and animals that the three-leaf clover, clover symbolized the Trinity. And they were all over Ireland. So he's teaching people about God. And here's a man who had a horrible situation happen in his life. Yet God had him go back. God gave him a second chance to go back, to give the people of Ireland a second chance. And through God, thousands of people changed their lives. Thousands of people got saved. Thousands of people began to believe in Jesus, and it changed the landscape of Ireland. All because he was just obedient to go back to a place he didn't want to go, that he was afraid to go, that left a terrible mark on his life. But yet God used his story to change a nation. And could it be that today God wants to use your story to change our nation? God has put you in a place, brought somebody into your life that God wants to use your hardship and the situation you're walking through right now and your difficulty and your sin and your failures to show somebody else that God is the giver of second chances. See, it's a beautiful thing when you realize that God doesn't have to use us, but he chooses to use us. And we're just obedient to follow. God does something really special. So here's my challenge for you, Forefront, as we close. This week, pay attention. Who has God put in your life? Who is somebody that God has brought into your work or your neighborhood 
or a friend that you've reconnected with that you haven't talked to for a long time? Who has God brought into your world that he wants to use your story to change theirs? Because when we just follow God's lead, it's really amazing what God does. So let's be a church full of people who are really willing and ready to make the most out of our second chance. Because when we do, God will give somebody else their second chance. Would you pray with me?